With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, welcome to Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys. I'm your host, Joy Keys. I just got off uh, Instagram live chat, uh, so I didn't get a chance to do a couple things, but I want to thank you guys for tuning in. If you missed the chat, it was about National uh, Multiple Sclerosis uh, Awareness Month. We had a doctor and we had a person dealing with MS uh, on the show, and um, I'm going to upload that to Blog Talk Radio so that you can hear uh, that interview. But, um, again, thank you for tuning in. Uh, you can check me out on Twitter at Joy Keys. Also check me out on Facebook, Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys, and on Instagram, Saturdays with Joy Keys. You can also email me, SaturdaysWithJoyKeys at Hotmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. If you miss a show, you can hear them on Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, as well as here at Blog Talk Radio and on Google. Well, right now, I'm going to be speaking with, wow, a military historian. He's a director, published author. Um, He has film rights to his book, co-authored with Denise George, The Last Eleven, have been acquired. Robert Child has also garnered more than 26 writing and directing awards, including an Emmy nomination and is one of only a handful of writer-directors whose work has been screened in the United States Congress. His film, The Wearest Eleven, was nominated for an Emmy and won highest honor at the GI Film Festival in Washington, D.C. So if you have a question about history, I guess in the military, this is the guy, and I think he's on the line right now. Let's see if this is Robert Childs. Yes, it is George. Robert? How are you? Hi, yes. how are you? I'm well. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for waking up and would be willing to do the interview on a Saturday morning. Sure. Yeah, I'm actually in a hotel room, so I'm on the I'm road. Oh, wow. But, uh, oh, my gosh. Are you getting pancakes or, or at least French toast or something special for breakfast? Oh, I already grabbed the Starbucks, so I'm good. Okay, here's Starbucks. Wait, well, what's your favorite meal of the day? Is it breakfast, lunch, or dinner? I think it is breakfast. Yeah. It is breakfast. <laughs> what would you eat? Yeah, what is. would you eat if you were home? What would you eat if you were home? I, I would make uh, a nice breakfast sandwich with uh, eggs and sausage or bacon, and have it on an English muffin. That's my favorite. Mm. Oh, wow. Yummy. Okay, my mouth is warding. Okay, we got to stop talking about that. <laughs> Let's talk about the book that you wrote, uh, Immortal Valor, the Black Medal of Honor Winners of World War II. I mean, at first, okay, I have to tell you, I'm a woman. I don't know if you know that or not, but I'm a woman. So I was thinking, mm-hmm. like, this military book, this is a guy's book. I don't know if I'm going to be able to get into it, but, you know, it's a lot of black military. I want to read it. I was absorbed 
Like, I wanted to find out what happened to these guys. I was glued to the page. I mean, and I was sad. I was happy at times. I was laughing at other times about the silly things, you know, um, like the fat guy, he couldn't fit into the tank. Um, (laughs) You know, um, it it was really much more than I thought. It really surprised me. I was pleasantly surprised. And the level of detail um, that you put into it, I felt like I was there with them. I was there on wherever field they were, if they were going to the castle, um, if they were stuck uh, in a town and the guy threw himself on his his commander. um, So many Mm -hmm. places I felt I was there and learned so much more about these different wars. How did you get started Mm -hmm. on this path of being a historian? Well, I uh, I was a history minor in college, and I always loved history. Um, but then I went, uh, I had a communications degree, then I went into radio, then television, <clears throat> and uh, I used to do a lot of shows in New York. But uh, I always wanted to do my own projects, and about 20 years ago, I started doing my own independent work, uh, military history, films for PBS um, on different wars, uh, Civil War, World War II, other places like that. So I'd always had a love of military history. Now, are you, have you um, ever been in the military, anybody in your family in the military, or do you just like studying? I've never been in the military, but I discovered that my grand, great-grandfather was at Gettysburg, fought at Gettysburg, and uh, won the commendation for valor at um, at Fredericksburg. So it's sort of in the DNA. It's in my family line. Wow. That's a really cool finding. Now with this Mm -hmm. book, how long did it take you to write? Because there's so much detail for each of the men. And then you even have the epilogue kind of, you know, what happened a little later. How long did it take? Um, It took a year and a half um, to write it. Sorry. And how, <laughs> Don't just have my how door. did you? Oh, okay. Go ahead. Um, yeah. Thank you. It was uh, it was the housekeeping. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. So, um, yeah. how did you um, choose um, the men that you chose? Because you have a couple guys, but then in the epilogue, you talk about some others. Um, how did you choose the ones you chose? I mean, I know you probably were like, "Darn, I wanted to put everybody in," you know. Yeah, no, these uh, men that I chose, the seven, were the only seven that received the Medal of Honor uh, for World War II service, um, which is a very small number uh, because there were over a million African Americans in service in World War II. So that's how I chose them. They had received the highest medal for, uh, for bravery in World War II. Now, like I was saying, the story is not all grim uh, details of blood and gore and things like that. And there's, mm-hmm. there's a, a lot of fun parts. And you talk about friendship yeah. um, and you talk about family and love. Um, you know, mm-hmm. one of the things that I really was sad was uh, George Watson. Um, somehow oh, yeah. I, I, sure. I grabbed onto him and, and he was – he was a guy. Can you tell the audience who George Watson was, uh, a little bit about his story? Yeah, George Watson was one of the Medal of Honor recipients, and he served in uh, Southwest Pacific 
And when the war broke out, or just prior to the war breaking out, he, he got married. And, um, but he had to leave his wife because he really wanted an education, um, a degree. And he left um, for, the, uh, for Colorado to pursue an engineering degree. And the, the marriage uh, didn't last because of the distance. But during that time, uh, right after he was graduated, he uh, enlisted in the military. He was drafted and served in the Southwest Pacific on a ship. He was actually in a laundry service corps. And um, he, um, do you want me to tell what happened to him? No, we don't have, no, uh, that's fine. I mean, that's just one of the stories where you, the beginning, you see how lighthearted he is, how kind he is. Um, that's how mm-hmm. he won his wife yep. over, um, and and he was a great swimmer. And unfortunately, that mm-hmm. was his downfall. I won't tell any more past yes. that, but, but that's all I'm going to say. Um, another yeah. guy I really loved was Baker. Um, wow, what fight he had in him! I mean, he yeah, was absolutely yeah. amazing getting to this castle. Talk to talk about him a little bit, Vernon J. Baker. Sure, Vernon Baker was from Cheyenne, Wyoming, and uh, he entered the military um, because he couldn't find a job. <laughs> he was jobless, as he said, so he he turned to the military and um, trained in Arizona and became part of the 92nd Division in Italy. And uh, he was one of the smarter um, men in the unit. So that was recognized by his commanders. So he was upgraded to a company clerk in his company. And uh, during training, um, the men became a little bit jealous of him because he was so intelligent. So they they gave him a hard time, his fellow soldiers. Um, But, you know, he wasn't going to apologize for being smart. (laughs) So he... You know, he just, he wouldn't. So um, he went to Italy and served in Italy with the 92nd Division. And he, his, um, because of circumstances that occurred, he took over command of his unit. I don't don't know what's happening on my computer, but he took took over command of his unit. And and served as a company commander de facto, but he knew that they would never elevate him to formally appoint him company commander. And but he fulfilled that role because his commander was injured, was wounded, and just before his Medal of Honor action, um, three new white commanders came into the unit, and one in particular became his commander. And his his white commander had never served in combat, didn't even have one second of combat mm-hmm. yet. Runyon, that had, was his name. Runyon. Yep, yep, Captain Runyon. And uh, Baker, <clears throat> excuse me, had to answer to him. And uh, Baker essentially served as the de facto commander because the men wouldn't didn't trust Runyon because he had no experience. And what happened is they were trying to take a castle position on a hill that was heavily fortified that the entire regiment wasn't able to capture, but it, it fell to Baker's unit. Um, and uh, they made their way up the hill 
And as soon as um, they encountered some very stiff resistance from the castle, Mortifier, um, his captain, Captain Runyon, um, went and hid in a shed. <laughs> and left I was like, in. are you kidding me? This guy is sitting there yeah, with that, his head between his legs. I'm like, I can't yep. believe this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, of course, I didn't make that up. I mean, that's from Baker's own, you know, writings. That's what happened. And um, this captain said, I, you know, I'm going to go down and get help. We need help, so i got to go. <laughs> so he, uh, Baker said, well, you know, just okay, you know, but we need reinforcements. And he said, yeah, I'll, you know, I'll send them up. And he disappeared and left the, the men on their own. So Baker held the position, which was the farthest uh, towards the castle that any unit had gotten. And Runyon went back, and he told his commander to not worry about the rest of the of the unit because they'd all been wiped out, which they hadn't. So they never sent reinforcements. So Vernon mm-hmm. and his men were up there thinking that they were going to receive reinforcements, and they never did. And they held out yep. as long as they could, and lost. He lost 19 men out of 26, trying to hold that hill. And finally, they made their way down. And um, you know, it, it, it was an incredible experience for all of them but uh i mean absolutely amazing um yeah sorry go ahead yeah amazing but you know that's essentially what happened i mean that what what is all these guys is this fighting spirit um to protect a land as we know did not want to protect them as african americans at that time you know segregation um, and racism and even inside the military they could not excel even though they were asked to you know uh, come and fight for your country um, Mm -hmm. only a few were able to you know excel and and become officers another great character Edwin Allen Carter in Shanghai that blew me I was like wait where is he He's in where? Let me, I, maybe yeah. I didn't read that right. I had to go back. I said, mm, "Let me go." Okay, I did a, He's what? Okay, okay. That was another story. Black guy in Shanghai. Yep. Talk about Edward Allen Carter for the audience. Sure, Edward Allen Carter was born in Los Angeles, but his parents were missionaries. His mother was from India, and um, and. Uh, they decided to leave Los Angeles. His father was a preacher, and first they moved to India, and then they moved to um, Shanghai when he was only 15. And they lived in the international settlement in the early 30s. And um, that was a very cosmopolitan area in the early 1930s. They, um, they didn't experience the Great Depression there as the rest of the world was experiencing at the time. So they were sort of sheltered. But during that time, there was um, there was great prosperity in China and Shanghai, and the Japanese were jealous of what was going on. So the Japanese decided to attack um, specifically Shanghai when um, mm-hmm. Carter was living there with his family. And, of course, they became refugees. And, but Carter didn't want to um, just hang around in the shelter. He... <laughs> He decided to, uh, his father was pretty domineering, he decided to, um, you know, 
go on an adventure and actually join the Chinese 19th Army to fight against the Japanese. And he was only 15. He was only 15, 15 years old, yeah. and he finagled himself. He was talking based on what you did in the book. Is he, 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 um, because of his military schooling, he, you know, the guy was like, yep. okay, we need fighters, so go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. He, he uh, attended school at the Shanghai Military Academy, and uh, he knew Chinese, the dialect, and uh, they said, uh, okay, come on in. And uh, in, in China, he, there wasn't the racism as there there was in this country, and there still remains, you know, against um, you know blacks. It just it just wasn't there, which was amazing. And um, so they welcomed him in, and uh, he fought side by side with the Chinese until his father, you know, they they were distraught wondering what had happened to him. And then they started to hear rumors that he was in the military. <laughs> his father came to uh, to the unit he was serving in and, and told his commander that, you know, he's underage. Eddie, Eddie is only 15. And they didn't realize that because he was sort of big. And uh, so he hauled his son back out of the military. And, um, I, I was so mad at the father <laughs> at that point, kind of. I was like, okay, dude, look, what are you going to do for him? You know, he's always getting in trouble. At least, you know, oh, I think we lost um, Robert Child. Hopefully he'll call back in. Well, I'll tell you one of the stories. Uh, he ended up fighting in America, and um, they were uh, in Germany, and somehow they um, he was able to capture some German soldiers. Oh, okay, he got back on. Here we go. Robert, oh, sorry. That's okay. That's okay. Yes. Technology, it happens. Um, I was just letting him know that um, he captured some um, German soldiers, and nobody knew that he knew how to speak German. I was laughing. I was like, "Ah, this is great." Yep. <laughs> yep. Oh he my did. god! He, so he many German in school. That's so amazing. I mean, that's just something to talk about American education. You know, they still have it backwards here. They all say that kids learn languages better when they're younger, yet we don't teach language mm-hmm. until high school in most places. I agree. You know? I agree. Uh, it, it's, yes. so, it's so crazy, yeah. right? Um, it is let me crazy. Ask you this. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. What were you going to say? Be- because children are much more receptive to learning languages when they're younger. I agree with that. Yeah, very much so. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Now, another exciting thing that I liked you put in there was about this female reporter, Stringer. Now, she wasn't one of the black soldiers, but I just like that you put it in there, talking about women um, who reported from the front lines. I, I would never have thought that a young woman, I mean, she was 26, that's young, um, right. uh, was, was in the front lines. Um, and she, um, her husband, uh, Bill Stringer, was uh, killed um, you yes. talked about in the Normandy invasion, um, but she reported from right. France and Holland and Belgium, Germany. I was really impressed. I, I mean, and I've never heard of her, so it's just great to see a female person in history at that young age doing some great things and, and uh, just like you, almost a historian of sorts. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And it, was, it surprised me in my research when I discovered her as well. Um, but um, I could feel that she really had a, she wanted to tell stories that 
you know, were different, especially following, mm-hmm. you know, the African-American soldiers and what they were doing. And um, she certainly was a historian, you know, in her time and uh, very brave, that's for sure. Now, you're um, a Caucasian male, and you're writing about African-American history. Had you found anything that really surprised you, that stuck out, um, that that you were like, what? That? How in the world? You know, something like that? Um, in in what way? In in. I um, guess in the what the way that service? you know sometimes people dismiss um, things that are happening to African Americans in terms of racism and discrimination, um, but because you're a historian, I'm sure you've read and, and studied you know many books and spoke to people and interviews and things of that nature. But has there ever been anything that you were like, oh my God, I, I never knew that. I I, I didn't, had no idea that that was going on. Um, uh, yes, a lot of the racism in the South. Um, was a surprise to me um, uh, how it was the cultural norms of the time especially where um, African American soldiers went off base you know in the south most of them served and you know trained in the south and when they went into the town they had to avert their eyes and look at the ground whenever they encountered a white person which I had never I had never heard of that, um, but that was very well known to people in the South. And, um, I did, you know, I was trying to put myself back in that time, and uh, it was difficult to comprehend. But, you know, that's the way it was. And people don't realize it today. That it's virtually not known unless you grew up in the South or stories passed down. But that really surprised me. The you know mm-hmm. the culture the environment in the South for black soldiers, um, and they definitely were fighting a war at home and fighting a war abroad. Um, as I mentioned, the Double V campaign. Um, mm-hmm. There was a mm-hmm. campaign in early uh, 1942 that was launched by a, a black newspaper in, in Pittsburgh called the Pittsburgh Courier, which was um, essentially um, black soldiers you know, it served in the military and fought for America, and they deserved the equality when they returned home. That was the whole thrust of the uh, of the Double V campaign, victory abroad, which meant victory, equality at home. And uh, unfortunately for most black Americans, when they returned from the war, um, that didn't happen. It didn't happen until the 60s in the Civil Rights Movement. So they returned to a, a nation that was just as prejudiced, unfortunately, as it was before they left for the war. Yeah, well, and then you talk about how the government was like uh, told the newspapers, if you know, you just be quiet about this thing, um, you know, just, just be quiet about it right now. We won't shut you down. Yeah. So that's something yep. else you talked about uh, in the in the book as well. Now you know you're a historian. I'll bring it up again because. Now, uh, history of African Americans is is trying to be obliterated or not uh, shared or told or taught in schools. What's your thought about that, um, and, and what do you think can be done about that? Well, you know, my belief is everybody's history is important. Everyone counts. And I don't think we can divide up, you know, 
certain section of history that cannot be told. That doesn't make any sense to me, uh, you know, to cover things mm-hmm. up. So I'm very adamant that, you know, all history should be taught. You, you know, there's mm-hmm. there's a lot of incidents in this country that, you know, don't reflect well on the, on the population, but we have to tell the, both the good and the bad, you know, to know who we are. Uh, in mm-hmm, America, mm-hmm. and 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 hopefully you know get better the next day, and the next year, and the next you know in the future. So we we have to know our history. It's very important. Has there been any talk? Has there been any talk about making this um, somehow into a movie? Because I could see this would yes. be a great film. Yeah, yes, it has. Okay. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I've been ahead. contacted by a producer um, for the History Channel. And uh, okay. I don't want to let too many details out, but yes. No, nope, okay. Uh, okay, we don't want to jinx it. In talks. We don't want to jinx it. <laughs> but, but I yeah. said it, so just remember I said it, that, that I thought it would be a great idea. <laughs> well, you're not the first. I thought it would be, <laughs> I'm not the first. Oh, darn, shucks. Okay, but uh, at least I'm in the line. <laughs> yep, um, yep. Who was, what was your favorite story in the book? Um, and... Uh, yeah, what was your favorite story, your favorite male uh, fighter in the book, soldier? I, I can't pick a favorite, absolutely, because they're all important to me. But okay. the uh, the experience of Reuben Rivers and his whole unit, I loved, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll say I loved yes. writing that story um, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. Of, of this white commander who came in with all these ideals about black soldiers you know, serving and and serving, you know, in line with with white soldiers, and then he became disillusioned, and then, you know, he, he left the unit. Williams, it's all true. Right? Yeah, mm-hmm. David Williams. Yeah, he left the unit mm-hmm. in disgust, but then he got sent back <laughs> to the unit. I felt and, so bad and, for him. I was like, oh my god, you got sent back. I laughed. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but it was it and was great made, though because he learned he learned about himself. And and yes. and uh, they were able to to bond, um, you know, a friendship. Uh, I think um, based on what you were saying. Uh, could you read some yeah. of the book today? Would you be able to read some? Yeah, I have um, the introduction here, the section of the introduction okay. I can read. And, okay. Um, about five minutes of it, or so, or a few minutes of it. So let me see. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Where I, I had a place picked out here, um, and I'm going to uh, be giving away some copies of your book. So I want to encourage people to check me out on Twitter at Joy Keys, also on Facebook Saturday mornings with Joy Keys, and on Instagram Saturdays with Joy Keys. So you can win a copy of Robert Child's book Immortal Valor. Oh, great! Great, that sounds great. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll share that on my Twitter when I see it. But uh, okay, I have a section here Twitter, I can read. What's your, what's your Twitter handle? What's your Twitter handle? It's uh, Rob Child, at Rob Child. Okay, so people want to follow you or just see what's going on or when the book becomes mm-hmm. a movie, which that I would love to see that. Um, yeah, so yeah. Rob Child on Twitter, you can follow him. Okay, did, were you able to find your section? Yeah, I have my section here. Okay. And I'll read it. The medal that we know today is the United States' highest award for military valor in action, the Medal of Honor, 
did not come into being until the Civil War. 1861, President Abraham Lincoln signed legislation proposed in Congress by Iowa Senator, Senator James Grimes, creating the first Medals of Honor for heroic naval service actions. Congress followed up in 1862, creating the Army's first Medal of Honor, specifically for non-commissioned officers and private distinguished themselves by their gallant actions. Later, it grew to include officers. Of the nearly 3,500 3, Medals of Honor awarded to date, a disproportionately small number of African Americans have received the decoration. Less than 3%, or 89 Medals of Honor, have been awarded to 88 African Americans with one sailor, Robert Sweeney, receiving two during peacetime, both times for rescuing fellow sailors from drowning in the late 1800s. After the close of the Civil War, 25 African Americans were deemed worthy of the coveted award for their gallant actions, and subsequently six passed the test after the close of the Spanish Civil War. I'm sorry, Spanish-American War. In each case, awards were conveyed shortly after the close of both con conflicts. As the 20th century dawned, it became a different story in the awarding of the Medal of Honor to worthy African Americans. It was not until 1991 that the first African American serviceman from World War I, Freddie Stowers, was awarded the Medal of Honor 73 years after he was killed in action. The second World War I recipient, Henry Johnson, of the 369th Infantry was awarded the Medal of Honor posthumously by President Barack Obama in 2015. <clears throat> the lateness of awarding the nation's highest military honor to World War I African-American soldiers raises eyebrows and even a casual observer. What is, what, it, what is considered America's greatest war fought by America's greatest generation where systematic racism within the military delayed almost, and almost denied deserving African-Americans from receiving the country's highest award for bravery. Out of nearly 500 Medals of Honor awarded for conspicuous gallant actions during the Second World War, only seven African-Americans received the award. This minute number of recipients is in contrast to more than one million African-Americans who served and a total of 16 million Americans in uniform during the war. And that's a section of the introduction. Well, I uh, really thank you for writing the book and bringing these gallant men to light and sharing their stories. It's, again, very important to share history, um, to, to understand what happened, and also not to make the same mistakes in the future. I mean, that's like an old saying for, from I don't know how long. Uh, if you don't know your history, then, you know, you're going to, you know, make the same mistakes over and over again. Um, but I think things are changing, um, but there is still a lot of ways to go. But in terms of uh, being recognized and being able to move up in the armed forces, I believe it is better for, for the, the men and women. Um, and uh, But this story is so important. Um, again, thank you, Robert Child, for writing um, this book. What's next on the horizon for you? What are you going to be writing about next? Um. I've been approached by uh, a group of uh, Vietnam naval aviators, helicopter pilots, to write about their story in Vietnam in combat search and rescue, um, mm. a story that hasn't been told, um, all the combat, combat search and rescue missions that were uh, completed by naval aviators in 
uh, Vietnam. And uh, it looks like that's the next project on, on the horizon. That sounds really exciting. Um, I, I can't imagine what they're going to tell you and what they went through. Yeah, um, I know. That, that, that just definitely, I, I would like to read that. Just, just, I can, I, in my mind right now, I'm picturing the helicopter there, and they're and they're getting shot at, and they got to go. And, uh, yep. Yeah, a lot of action. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. A lot of action. Another movie, I'm already saying it now, though, before somebody else says it. <laughs> okay, you're the first. <laughs> I'm the first. <laughs> Thank you so much, Robert, and I hope you have safe travels. Um, you know, you said you were traveling, you're in the hotel, so please yeah. be careful, and uh, remember to wash your hands and use the hand sanitizer. We're still in the middle of COVID, and, and wear your mask if you, you know, need to. <laughs> I will, definitely. Thank you again. Thank you for having me on the show. Okay, I'll talk to you later, okay? Okay, bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. I just got off the phone with author Robert Child. We were discussing his book, Immortal Valor, the Black Medal of Honor Winners of World War II. It's an amazing story of about seven guys. Um, He talks about each of their beginnings in the middle and how they got into the service and, and the acts that they did and how they got recognized. Um, and, and many had to be, you know, fought to get recognized. Um, and unfortunately, you know, maybe not even saw the award. They, they, were, they passed away. So uh, I'm going to give away some copies of his book. So you want to follow me again at Joy Keys on Twitter. Check me out on Facebook, Saturday mornings with Joy Keys and on Instagram, Saturdays with Joy Keys. I hope you guys have a great weekend, and I hope you can tune in next Saturday to Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys. Adopt U.S. Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting A Teenager Learning the Lingo GOAT, G-O-A-T, acronym, stands for Greatest of All Time, as in spaghetti sandwiches for dinner? They're my fave. Dad, you're the GOAT. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. Visit AdoptUSKids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt U.S. Kids, and the Ad Council. With the Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.